Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. You know, I was listening to this music in the promo uh, earlier this morning in bed, and I said aloud, I think I want to change the music again. And the other person in the room said, why don't you wait until you're off steroids? Um, which is true. I'm taking steroids, and they make you want to do a lot of things that maybe aren't good ideas. Hopefully none of those things will happen today on the nose, where one of the lessons that we learned this week is, or that I learned this week anyway, is that us and this is us, these are two completely different franchises, all right? Have nothing to do with each other. Yep. Both very popular. Uh, joining us in studio today for the news, Tanisha Dugan is producing Associated Theater Works. Sam Hatch co-hosts The Culture Dogs Saturday night on WWUH. 8 p.m.? 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Right? Yeah. Uh, Bill Usman is professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. Speaking of which, Bill Usman will be hosting an event at Sacred Heart University next week, April 2nd. I think that's Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. It's a conversation with Lee McIntyre, Boston University professor and author of the book Post-Truth, which is about the rise of alternative facts and fake news and the decline of real truth in our public discourse. This event is free and open to the public, unless I'm lying. It could be $50 and closed, you know, uh, because I might have alternative facts. All right. So uh, we're going to uh, later in the show, we all went to the movies, not together, and uh, saw Us, which is obviously the most talked about movie in America by far right now. The second effort from uh, the amazing Jordan Peele. Uh, but before we do that, before we get to that, uh, we also watched uh, Amy Schumer's special on Netflix, uh, Growing. Um, Amy Schumer is having a very difficult pregnancy, which is like almost it almost like had to be the case, although it's like the grossest – she's got the grossest set of problems. Uh, she's got hyperemesis, which means she throws up all the time. And I don't know if it's tied to the hyperemesis, but according to her, she could at any moment like poop on stage and she kind of holds that possibility uh, out to us uh, because she doesn't want us to miss any of the grossness. But there's a lot of other things going on in this special. Um, and I mean, she's such a, a mess. And I mean, I'm not saying that critically. But she's like very into being a mess uh, that the question comes, what's she doing doing this comedy special? And here is the answer. I have not had an easy pregnancy. I have hyperemesis, which I'd never even heard of. It's extreme nausea and vomiting. If you've ever had food poisoning, it's that. I've had that every day for five months. <laughs> no, and people are like, you're so strong. Look at you out there. You're on the road. I'm contractually obligated to be out here, guys. <laughs> I'm not like, I don't care. The show must go on. I'm like. I will be sued by Live Nation. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I even believe that. I feel like there's probably an out clause in your <laughs> contract. But it's, as one critic said, it's a very weird umbrella to throw up over the set that you're doing. So, Bill, I'm going to start over with you, although I think you and I had kind of a similar uh, reaction here. I mean, both uh, big Amy Schumer fans... Not sure this is the best we'll ever see her. Well, the only reason I show up for my classes is because I'm contractually <laughs> obligated to be there, and that really is true. Um, yeah, I, I'm an Amy Schumer fan. I actually liked her Comedy Central show, Inside Amy Schumer, a lot, and I miss it. Uh, 
I don't think this is necessarily the best thing that she's done. She um, seems to be kind of going through the motions a little bit. Um, I do think that she has made oversharing into kind of an art form, but in certain ways, that kind of subgenre of comedy has, dare I say, almost passed her by. I don't want to say that, and and I and I'm not saying like her career is over or anything like that, but. She does seem to kind of be going over some basically familiar territory here and kind of treading water a little bit. And yet people still find her so awful and gross and icky. And I kind of have this litmus test that I mentioned, which if you're disgusted by Amy Schumer, then that tells me that you and I can't be friends uh, because that's just ridiculous. Unless you're disgusted by Amy Schumer and you like that feeling. Like well, enjoy okay. being then, yeah. yeah. I, I don't, you know, I mean, Tanisha, I have to say, I vacillated a lot about this special and I went back and, uh, this morning and rewatched parts of it. And I mean, one thing you have to say about it, if she, and I'm inclined to believe her, that she is as big a physical mess as she says she is, it's kind of impressive because she acts and, and comedically acts with her body so much. She's kind of flinging herself around the stage, simulating sexual positions. And right at the end, she does kind of a physical imitation of what a man is is in his 20s and 30s, which, I mean, it, it, she's really quite a workout she gives herself. She's trying to bring on the pregnancy, I right, think, exactly. so that we can get this over. <laughs> or the poop. I don't know. It's yeah. one or the other. I don't well, know. The what was your thing about yeah. this, in, this sort of introduction to my, my chatter about Amy Schumer is that you've given me my endorsement, so I'm yeah. looking forward to what that will be. Um, I don't think that her physicality is – I mean, I've been pregnant twice, yeah. and her, as she says – Yay me, I'm so special. But I think that there's something about what she's doing and, you know, the sort of comment about Live Nation that is putting her in the sort of motherhood diaspora of, like, I'm a working mom and what it looks like to work as a comedian and pregnant is this thing. And I've always told you about my life and I've told you about my life in this particular kind of way and now I'm pregnant and still doing it. And so from that perspective, you know, I've sort of talked myself into seeing the value of it. I have to admit, I fell asleep twice trying to see the whole thing. So, you know, I am growing <laughs> and my kids have grown now outside of my body. So my, um, I guess, patience for this particular kind of motherhood humor um, or life humor is is like I, I wasn't like, oh, I got to hear hard take on what it's like to be in this stage of her life right now. Um, But I do think that there is value to the way in which she's performing. I don't think that the physicality is anything extraordinary because when I get to my endorsement, you'll learn that there are dancers who don't stop dancing up until the point Mm. that the child is, you know, at (laughs) breach, right? But, um, but, you know, her flashing her full belly, right, on the stage and yet still having something very... um, uh, cosmetic and, and, and sort of she, she needs to to maintain some semblance of beauty through this dress. So instead of just letting the belly button hang in this dress, she covers it up with six Band-Aids because she, she wants to still have a smooth pregnant <laughs> belly, you know? Like there's a lot of interesting ideas that she's bringing to the table mm-hmm. just by doing the work. Sam, I could ask you a question, but I can tell by your body language you get stuff you want to say. Oh, no, nothing in particular. Just it, I, I was overall lukewarm on it because uh, my humor – 
Uh, likes tend to grow more on the absurd side of the street. Hmm. Uh, and then the, the, you know, what's going on in my life, let me share, type of humor is, is hit or miss with me. But it was those smaller kind of elements here and there that I enjoyed. Like when she mentioned uh, falling in love with her husband because hmm. of his autistic tendencies uh, rather than that being a, a detractor. And so some of the other kind of small – it wasn't the sh- big shocking elements mm. that I connected with. It was some of the, the smaller little lifestyle things that she she jumped in and dropped in there. But overall, yeah, the Inside Amy Schumer show on Comedy Central was you know by far superior to this work. And you know, Trainwreck even was a little bit hit or miss with me. I, I actually yeah. really like Trainwreck. But, yeah. um, so I was going to wait uh, a second or two, but since you brought this up, uh, let's uh, hear uh, – this is our second clip uh, – exactly what Sam's talking about. My husband – was diagnosed with what used to be called Asperger's. He has autism spectrum disorder. He's on the spectrum. And there were some signs early on, like we went for a walk about a year ago, and I fell. And kind of nine out of 10 people would go, oh my God, are you okay? (laughs) Right? Maybe more like 10 out of 10 people. Oh my God, are you okay? But instead, my husband went. (laughs) He kind of froze and became a lighthouse, opening and closing his mouth, just. (laughs) And I remember laying on the ground, looking up at him, and I wasn't mad, I just thought, huh. A lot of huh moments, you know? This, this was an interesting thing for me. Uh, and I, first of all, one of the things that I feel is that there's so much over-policing of everything these days. Uh, and comedy doesn't do well if it's policed. Um, comedy really needs to be as free as it can without, you know, doing actual societal damage. Um, and, and so... You know, I mean, I had a lot of questions as this was unfolding. Like, what kind of conversations has she had with her husband about this? If her husband is somewhere on the spectrum, uh, how well does he understand what it's going to mean if she turns this into a set of comedy tropes? Um, uh, I'm guessing she, because everybody gets pushed back from everybody. We'll come to that with Lupita Lupita Nyong'o in the second segment. But everybody gets pushed back from every group. There are going to be groups that don't like this either. On the other hand, Bill... Like, I want to, you know, I mean, the whole idea of Amy Schumer is she'll go there. So there she goes. Right. That's I think that's exactly her brand. Mm. Right. Her brand is making people uncomfortable, making you squirm in your seat, making you like I could picture people like in the audience. They kind of glance to the side. Is it okay to laugh here? Like, ooh, is there like am I, you know, doing something wrong if I laugh at this, even though I find it funny? And that is what I like about her. I think that is the value that she brings, that she is going to go to those places. I mean, there's lots of comedians that do that. Mm -hmm. And I think there's um, actually now a lot of comedians who do that even better and in even more um, challenging, you know, kind of walking the edge kind of way. But I do like that she's willing to take on those things and take on those things that people who have very kind of, um, you know, almost prudish responses to things want to say, oh, you're really not supposed to make a joke about that. And, you know, oh, you know, 
pregnancy is such a romantic thing and marriage and you're really de-romanticizing all those things and it's very uh, disturbing to me. I, I like that she's willing to do that and take those kind of people on. But it's not free of risk. Uh, and I mean, Tanisha, she in the past has been really criticized for, I mean, like Sarah Silverman, she sometimes is playing uh, um, a, a person other than who she is. So she's mm-hmm. telling a joke that isn't really her joke. Um, I mean, she has said stuff like, I used to date Hispanic guys. Now I prefer consensual. Um, I mean, that's a joke that a lot of people would say, don't tell that joke, particularly in the era of Trump. And there are probably some people who are going to say, don't make fun of your autistic husband. Um, yeah, I mean, I, to me, the best comedy is the kind of comedy that does walk that edge of comfort and discomfort that does make you take a look at things um, in a raw way. I think my problem with Amy is that she doesn't wrap the bow around it. Mm-hmm. So you're getting, for example, the the joke about Hispanic men, right? Mm. Like, okay, make the joke, but then where's the narrative between the joke and the truth? Great right? observation. That yeah. allows you to laugh and then go, ah, oh, or hmm, or huh, as she, you know, and so... For me, you know, specifically, personally, you know, my youngest son is on the spectrum. And so mm. I'm like, okay, what's cool about this joke, what the, the potential of this joke is that there is a, a full, normal, quote-unquote, life mm. at the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the yeah. payoff for that joke. But she doesn't actually get us there. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it, it borderlines on bully, which I don't think is her intention. Right. Obviously, she loves. I well, I assume she loves her husband. <laughs> we hope so. But <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't uh, wrap it up, and I think Sarah does a better job of that. And mm-hmm. I prefer com- comedians who do that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make this kind of comedy, yeah, I could have lived with that being expanded actually quite a bit within uh, the context of the the, the special. But uh, the one thing I, I am interested in is is are there more of these Live Nation horror stories out there? Because <laughs> I've had. Some instances, I, I was interviewing a band once on their bus, and they had this marker board that just said Jive Nation. Uh, and mm-hmm. I said, what, what's this all about? And Live Nation was constantly— Well, they're, 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 empire. they're the empire yeah. no matter what. Yeah, they I were mean. constantly trying yeah. to uh, corner them and, and tell them to adjust their art. Yeah. Uh, because they would be, they would cancel the entire tour if mm. they did a certain things, and they had certain cities where they were allowed mm. to do certain things. So, uh, I'm I'm interested in how many other artists mm. are being pressured. Yeah, I just want to go back to the autism thing. I mean, I don't know. I like what one read I wound up doing this. And Denisha, I think you say it perfectly. She doesn't really round out the other 180 degrees of the circle, and so we're left doing our own read on it. Part of my read, I, fi- I reflexively, I found myself thinking I would last less than 48 hours as Amy Schumer's anything where I'd be going, <laughs> check, please. Mm-hmm. And I sort of wondered if maybe, you know, this is a part of this guy's skill set is that <laughs> some of the things that I would take incredibly personally right. and not be able to handle and have to, <laughs> and have to get, I mean, th- this right. guy. And when you yeah. say it like that, it kind of feels abusive. Right? Yeah, like right. it kind of feels like ooh, <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, I don't know what they're, maybe their yeah, life is just wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, she yeah. does a little pretty picture of their life right at the end, and right. it sounds. But fine. you can be abusive and not know it, and you can be ab- <laughs> you can abuse <laughs> someone and also not know that you're motto. being abused, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. And I do think that that critique that you're offering is is actually a good one. And I and I've seen other people actually? kind of. <laughs> there, I just did it. Did it I was just abusive. Unintentionally, abusive. unintentionally. I think, as usual, that's a fine critique that you offer, Tanisha. <laughs> and I have 
you know, people have kind of written about this. You know, mm-hmm. she she kind of goes up to the edge of challenging the status quo, but doesn't jump over that cliff. Um, there's another moment where um, she kind of channels this thing, which has been attributed to M- Margaret Atwood right. about, uh, you know, women most fear violence, men most fear ridicule. And then it just kind of is left yeah. hanging there. Yeah. You could go so much deeper with that. You mm-hmm. could go so much farther with that. But she kind of leaves it at that simplistic binary without, as you say, kind of like wrapping up the bow in a way that really needs to be wrapped up. And I don't think it's intentional, which I think is why Agreed. it I agree. Uh, bothers me. Yeah. Because I'm like, mm. there's a way to craft. I mean, she's crafting an evening of mm-hmm. art. And there's a way to craft... If, if what you want to do is leave people hanging and offer the audience the opportunity to tie it for themselves, then the jokes need to be positioned accordingly mm-hmm. instead of literally just walking away from this topic and then hopping into the next part of her set. Yeah. But right. it's slightly maddening that she opens all these little boxes and some of them are very fascinating and those are the ones she just leaves open in the back of the stage right. and moves on to something and, and delves into something well, that maybe she doesn't need to. She's Pandora. Yeah, <laughs> she is. Um, well, I also feel like this set, I mean, well, first of all, I should say one thing, which watching her kind of carefully this morning, I was just thinking, God, you know, as a club comic, first of all, her entire career is 15 years old. I mean, like to, the first onstage joke about 15, 15 years ago. So that's quite an arc. I mean, she's she's made a lot of progress. And and watching her come up, I, I used to think, you know, among the kind of club comics doing that material, she just her, – her stuff has always been very sharp. Her delivery is sharp, what she can do with her face and her voice. And I mean, she's just like this superbly talented person just doing club material. And what's interesting about this special or weird about it is it kind of – you know, ticks and tacks all over the all over the bay. I mean, a lot of it she'll she'll do. She does like a funny little club set about buying lingerie, and it's hilarious and it's nicely constructed, and some little things with the tone of voice, and it's basically kind of you know observational, funny club stuff, and then veers from that to like Brett Kavanaugh, and from that to mm-hmm. you know her, mm-hmm. the condition of her. OBGYN system in like, you know, incredible amounts of detail. Um, and it's kind of, it's a tour de force, but it's a very disorganized tour de force. It's like, I can do anything. And that's kind of true about her. I think she she can be Carol Burnett if that's what she wants to mm-hmm. be. She could be, you know, but she's not really doing it right now. But of course, she throws up all day long. So. <laughs> right. Very hard to do so. Yeah, she's doing this at a very, you know, rough spot in her life where a lot of people would just be laying in bed doing Nothing. Yeah. So that is admirable. And I do want to say – Nobody like, e- does nothing when they're pregnant. I mean there's very <laughs> wow. few women who do yeah. nothing while now. they're pregnant. So no, I'm just saying. There's not a lot of women what he, who – What he means is Bill and I would be. If, right. Uh, that's maybe true. Doing when, <laughs> when I have even a slight stomach ache, I just lay in bed right. moaning, that literally. Why My knee hurts yeah. today and I think I'm kind of a hero yes. that I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's, that is indeed the case. Um, we're being – kind of critical of this particular special, but I do want to say, like, I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. And I do think there's some really great moments in it, and I do enjoy her a lot. I think she is indeed, like, one of the, you know, really good comedians who's out there working right now. I think there's something we said for 15 years, right? Like, Mm -hmm. maybe as she progresses... 
that piece of storytelling, that piece of arc will become a thing. Yeah, she's 37 right. years old. You know, this is this yes, is a long. It's a good year. It's a long road. There's a, she got Thank a long you. road ahead. She's a lot a lot of space <laughs> to grow into. When this kid is a toddler, she's yeah. going to have so much great material. Right. <laughs> what? What? I mean, I, I, this is I'm a broken record about this, but I'll say it on the show maybe for the second or third time. I do feel as though the Netflix comedy special, Sam, is something that's starting to bother me because so much of what I admire about comedians is their club work where they really do, you the know, work. they have to work. Yeah, you have to work. You have to take chances. You have to – like the, one of the few Netflix comedy specials I've enjoyed a lot in the last couple of years was one that Bill Burr, not the attorney general, <laughs> Bill Burr, uh, <laughs> did at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville where he just didn't have the crowd with him at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and Bill Burr is never happier than when he doesn't have the crowd with him. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know. His uh, his classic uh, Philadelphia Philly, appearance. Yes, his, Phil, yeah, his bootlegged on YouTube. You should, you should right. look it up. Uh, <laughs> th- that's a, that's a, uh, an all-star comedy thing where the Philly crowd in typical fashion turned against every single comedian, yeah. booed them all off stage, and Burr went out there and stayed his full 20 minutes, and he keeps looking at his watch and yes. berating them and saying, I'm out here for another eight minutes. You are not getting me <laughs> off this stage. You know, and he but, never dries up with his vitriol. No, no, it just keeps yeah, coming. Just, <laughs> and eventually they're starting to laugh just because he's yeah, he wants them over. So <laughs> abusive that he's like just one of them. But you know, I mean, the, for yeah. the most part, it, whether it's it, it's uh, you know uh, John Mulaney or or Amy Schumer um, or I mean, almost anybody now sort of comes out on stage in front of two thousand people who love them. Yes, you know, who just completely love mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a little bit less exciting, mm-hmm. I, I think, than you know than. Other kinds of comedy. And I heard other comedians recently complaining about this glut of Netflix comedy specials. I was probably on the Joe Rogan podcast or something to that effect. And, and there's it's just this factory of, of stand-up specials. And they're becoming a little bit less special uh, with each one that arrives. It's not like the old HBO days of the Carlin you know, yeah. spectacular Well, they're very cheap show. to produce. Exactly. Right? And yet they garner pretty good size audiences. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to – Maybe what Netflix should try to do is actually just kind of show up at one of these things not knowing what to expect and just record it mm-hmm. and see what you get. Well, at the end of this thing, I don't know if you watch all the way through the credits, but there is – you get a little – they do a little fourth wall thing where you see the makeup people come out. Yeah, messing with their you know, hair. Messing with their hair yeah. and stuff like that because they have to stop in the middle of the special mm-hmm. because she's uh, – they yeah. start patting her down with powder and stuff like that and, and there's a little bit of – That's uh, a good moment. It, it is. is. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I do have – the John Mulaney – bit about the Trump presidency being a horse loose in a hospital, yeah. I still think is one of the great bits. Actually, I love Mulaney's new special, yeah. and I've become a big John Mulaney fan, so he's probably a bad example to use. But, <laughs> yeah, he's um, great. And, and I, I, Carlos, our producer, is asking about. So Ray Romano did a thing recently where you know he went to two small clubs, Cellar Door and one of the, or Comedy Cellar or whatever, mm-hmm. and 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 great performed wings. there. Yeah. Oh, really? Good, wi- good wings? Really good wings. And I really thought it was really funny, and I'm not even a big Ro- Ray Romano fan. But I don't know what that is either because you're obviously, you know, providing an incredible amount of delight. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you hit on it, right? Yeah. And having not stayed awake to the end to yeah. see how much production goes into yeah. it, I think the magic of what a comedy show is, that tightrope that you, you talked about, I mean, mm. is like inherently gone by virtue of it being produced in the way it's produced. And so, yes, I mean, the Comedy Cellar is a great venue. I like I like to go there because I love the wings, but, like, <laughs> I hate going there because and drinking beer because in order to use the restroom, you've got to, like, walk through the space, and right. you become a part of the show. And so, like, when I go, if I'm not, like, seeing comedy, I'm like, I'm not peeing here because I do not want to. <laughs> and there's something about 
that interaction between mm. co- um, comedian and audience, whether yeah, it is literal so or yep. just listening, yep. like they don't have to listen in this in these Netflix. And so I don't mind having a bunch of them because it means I don't have to go to a comedy show <laughs> to experience good comedy. Yeah. But I don't think we're getting good comedy by virtue of the way in which it's being produced. And I think that's the thing that's. The other thing I hate about live comedy, though, is it's it's always this machine when you're at a a funny bone or et cetera, Mm. where you have to order the food. And then whenever the (laughs) ultimate story is being told, there's a waitress in your face trying to get you to settle up. And you're missing about three quarters of this Mm -hmm. joke that this Mm -hmm. comedian has meticulously (laughs) crafted. See, comedy seller is not like that in the sense that there is no – like if you want to eat, you take your behind upstairs and you eat in the restaurant. I appreciate that. You are there to (laughs) see the show. And you are there in service of the comedian as they are figuring out what their future sets look like. So it's not, you know. I hate that. It's not a business in Mm -hmm. the way that some other shops are. In my milieu, it's the difference between teaching a small seminar and a large lecture. Mm -hmm. And the large lecture is actually easier to teach. Because you just kind of come in with this canned thing with lots of visuals. You stand there. You do it. You walk out. In the small seminar, you're trying to interact with people and engage them and you might get pushback. And so <laughs> I, I actually you off think – your lesson plan. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a, I think yeah. that really is the analogy. It's, it's harder but the payoff I think is actually much greater when it is that kind of live in the moment interactive thing. My, my, we have to take a break. My son and I still are, talk about a time – we, we saw Mike Birbiglia do Sleepwalk With Me in a pretty small New York venue. That's amazing. But right before, he he wasn't quite Mike Birbiglia yet. He was like somebody that you kind of knew about if you, I don't know, if, you, if you'd read about it somewhere or heard him once on This American Life or something. But he wasn't really that famous. And and so Sleepwalk With Me, his stuff, of course, is really monologue so it's all kind of really worked out. Except that on this particular occasion, he um, he did a little sort of impromptu thing in the beginning about – uh, not using your cell phone or not looking at your cell phone, but you, you can just tell he's kind of messing around with it. Uh, and then halfway through the set, there's a woman sitting in the front row t- talking on her cell phone. Uh. And he turned to her and he broke, you know, and, and just once again, it was kind of like Bill Burr. I mean, he just, he, and he sort of stayed with her. Um, you know, at one point he said he was like asking her and he, she goes, it's just bad timing. And he goes, bad timing? He goes, that's the kind of thing they say when they invade Iraq. You know, it's bad timing. I mean, just watching this guy just get out of whatever set he was going to do, which was a brilliant set anyway, and just deal with it. It's, that's part of the thrill, I think, of comedy too. And, but you can't do it at a big special. Anyway, we're going to take a break so we can talk about us, not about ourselves. You get it. We'll be back. Will never rise again. Shadow people know that the darkest hour is yet to come. We are back. Uh, Jordan Peele uh, is here to be reckoned with, I think. Um, uh, you all uh, met him through Key and Peele, but it turns out that was not his angle of repose. He has many, many uh, things that he's going to do, including directs a very interesting movie. So two years ago, we got Get Out. Uh, now we went to the movie theaters to see Us. Uh, both of these 
uh, movies sit nominally within the genre of horror, uh, and yet they also don't really rest there completely comfortably. They are restless movies. So, uh, Tanisha, maybe you can kind of get us going. Uh, this movie is setting various kinds of box office marks and, and critical marks. How did, how did it land for you? You know, I liked it. I saw it in uh, a theater with my with two other people. Um, were both of those people you? They were not. They were not my doppelgangers. <laughs> but they were a couple. And, I, and so we had, like, met before the movie started and I was like, I'm going to, you know, ask you some questions about it when we're out because I'm just curious, like, what you, what your thoughts are. Uh, and they were like, mm, I don't know about this movie. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, but, like, r- riffing all the things that, like, I thought were really interesting. And they were like, you saw in this thing? And I was like, but I did. So what I've been sort of. Like, my takeaway and what I've been sort of, like, thinking on since I saw it has been less about the film proper, and I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you guys, but about how I think that this, that Jordan's work, that black art is in this, in this like, binary right now, where there is, like, black art for all, mm-hmm. for all black people and for all people, and then there's a more, I don't want to call it rarefied, because that sounds very pretentious, but there is this... Um, insider kind of black culture that's coming out that I think Jordan is working with and on uh, in his work, both at Get Out, but particularly with us, where you've got to you've got to be able to know the references, mm-hmm. both cultural and literary. And if you are a horror fan, that helps too. But if you don't have those accesses, it I don't think it uh, rises to sort of excitement for, for other audiences. Well, I mean, although I find myself to be very, very excited about this movie, but before I go to Sam on this, I pre- we should probably say something about this. So this is um, very much the story of a family of four, uh, upwardly mobile African-American family of four. Uh, they are heading for a family beach vacation uh, in uh, a very nice spot somewhere near Santa Cruz, if not absolutely in Santa Cruz. Uh, it's a place that they've been to many times. Uh, and the um, mom, uh, the wife and mom, played by Lupita Nyong'o, uh, is, has gone to this place for most of her life and has had one of those very uh, quintessentially creepy boardwalk um, horror movie experiences uh, as a little girl. Uh, and one thing that I, I can't think we can say about this is, I mean, there's a, uh, there's a lot of things that we're just not going to spoil. I absolutely promise you we will not spoil things. But we can talk a little bit about the onset of this movie because because compared to most movies of this kind, this movie gets going very fast. In other words, it, in, it introduces the, cent- the central problem of the movie, which are, are these four doppelgangers, these not exactly identical, uh, for the most part, versions of the four members of the family who show up uh, and, uh, and are, ha- are not happy. Uh, so, uh, so most of the movie is about dealing with that problem and, and finding out what that problem really means. So, okay, Sam, I'm just throwing it off to you now. And that was one of the things I appreciate about the film, but then it's also, it puts it in a tough position because people are going to compare it directly to Get Out uh, because, you know, it's, it's he's created this 
event. Uh, uh, Jordan Peele film is an event. So mm-hmm. people are going to want to you know, compare and contrast to his other work and possibly get the same sort of buzz that they got from Get Out. And this film, like you mentioned, is structured so differently. That film was about you know, steeping in paranoia and you know, are you are you right? Should should you get out or should you stick this out? Are you you know just talking yourself you know into circles and you know what what is a real dangerous situation and not and it just keeps ratcheting up that tension. And this in the trailer it lets you know right away that there's this home invasion element of it. There's these doppelgangers and then that happens within what maybe a half an hour yeah, in the running time. Yeah. And you just have to put some faith in Jordan Peele as a filmmaker that he's got a bigger mythology, and he certainly does. Uh, whether that connects with everybody, um, you know, remains to be seen. But I, I loved it, and the fact that the more the film unravels and, and, and explains, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't explain it all. But you know darn well that Jordan Peele knows the entire backstory of this and knows the wider implications outside of what this family is experiencing. Um, but as that goes on, it starts its allegories start, you know, blossoming and. The, the most frustrating thing is you can't really talk about it uh, because of spoilers. Uh, and I know most of the news outlets are just running rampant with just spoiler-laden uh, yeah. pieces. So we're we're going to be careful. We're yeah, going to be careful. Be careful. Uh, we will play a little clip here. Uh, I think what we're hearing here is the, the early stages of the home invasion by the quartet of doppelgangers. Okay, let's call the cops. I did. They're 14 minutes away. What? 14 minutes? Okay, 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 okay. Jason, give me the bat. What bat? The baseball bat, the bat. There's one in the corner. Here, here. Thank you. Gabe. All right, hold on. I got this. Let's try this again. Gabe. No, 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 no. All right. Gabe. I got this. I got this. Now, I thought I already done told y'all to get off my property, okay? So if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Now, the cops are already on their way. Hey, 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 hey! To Tanisha's point, there's some pretty hilarious code oh, switching. That's so funny. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The, the code switching. You were talking before the show about, about teaching your kids, the kids, kids their inside voice and their outside voice. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. actually has an inside voice and an outside voice. So, Bill, we haven't heard you on this yet. So don't expect uh, – I've kind of got to do the um, disclaimer that you did last week when you were talking about Into the Spider-Verse, Colin, mm-hmm. that you loved it so much you can't – kind of be this disinterested critic of it. I'm the same way with this film. I'm the same way with Jordan Peele in general. I love everything that he does and it operates on so many different levels and I think he, his, his ambitions um, are so high and yet he actually achieves them. I think one of the things that you might have experienced Tanisha and I'm just you know kind of riffing here because I, I don't know for sure is that if you go into it just expecting a horror film it's not just a horror film mm-hmm. it's only a horror film on its surface the real horror is about something way beyond 
the what you see in the narrative on the screen. And I'm being really, really careful no. here <laughs> about not saying too much about that. But it, but it is an allegory, and and he is making this much larger social, political, cultural argument with Get Out. I think that was much more obvious. It was very clear that Get Out was kind of a response to the white liberal fantasy of earlier films like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. You can you can see it as a direct answer to Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And so the the politics of it were right there readily available on the surface. In this film, they're not quite as on the surface, but in some ways that makes it even a greater achievement, I think, and that he is demanding something from his audience in terms of how they're coming to the film and what they're interpreting that I think maybe some people don't have the patience for because it's not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, yeah. Tanisha, there, there is a way in which I, – I don't know if I can even sort of articulate this very well. But that, that thing that we hear Winston Duke, the actor who plays the dad, do in that clip, it, it's a thread through the movie that in some ways this family, they are upwardly mobile uh, and they want to be upwardly mobile. And their, their set of friends in Santa Cruz are this kind of obnoxious uh, – also upperly mobile uh, white people uh, to whom they occasionally compare themselves, particularly I think the doodads uh, do a lot of, uh, of comparing. Um, and, and that there's sort of a, that, there's sort of that question of identity too, right? Uh, because all the way through the movie, um, oh no, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> it's, there, it's hard, right? There's, there's yeah. a thing that's done with, a particular, <laughs> with, with, a, with a particular hip hop song. Not that, you know, there's two hip hop songs that are used in a very amusing way, but I'm thinking of the NWA song. Oh, yes. You know, <laughs> which is for some reason are on the. The non Alexa. Yeah, <laughs> on the non Alexa of this white family. I, I don't know. There's so many things going on about sort of ways in which, you know, white people mm-hmm. sometimes want to um, uh, co opt the culture that doesn't really belong to them, but also the aspirations of the African American family who may be losing a little bit, bit of track of who they are, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I should go back and say I, too, really loved the movie. Um, and it is deeply layered, right? Like I, you know, we were joking before you were talking, Bill, about that sort of code switch and dialect that uh, Gabe does when he really wants the the home invaders to know he is serious, yeah. right? Like I'm going to take off my acceptability voice and I'm going to really drop into a voice that maybe will really get you to go away. Um, And I think there is this uh, layering of the different ways in which culture, whiteness or blackness is uh, used um, for entertainment, for access, for um, uh, prosperity or not. Um, and, and, And it, to me, sort of mirrors what I imagine Jordan is going through as he is navigating himself. And so a lot of this movie I started thinking about through his own psychological perspective. Hmm. Like, what is what is this artist trying to do with this movie? What is this artist trying to tell us about him through this movie? Um, I want, you know, one of the music pieces that um, is central. I mean, you can find it. It's in the uh, it's in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, is a sample from "I've Got Five on it, mm-hmm. but "I've Got Five on it was sampled by P Diddy and R Kelly. And if you listen to that version of the song, the lyrics so perfectly match the storyline as uh, us is going on that I can't not think that that wasn't in the mix. Oh, I'm sure. And I also that. thought to myself, I wonder if 
he rewrote the I Got Five on it once canceling R. Kelly became <laughs> absolutely necessary um, to do because the, the the connections there in that music is is astounding to me. He's 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 layering all of the things. There's Lewis Carroll Oates in there. There's you know there's a lot of amazing Easter egg hunts, and you've got to be yes. willing to find it. Unlike Get Out, where Yes, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is the primary, but you could also saw the version with Ash- Ashton Kutcher or just live in America and not have seen any of the movies well, and been to able me. to walk into that movie without, you yeah. know. Get Out to Me is also Rosemary's Baby, right? Yeah. I right. mean, uh, it, it is, and I always thought that Rosemary's Baby, the, the terror of Rosemary's Baby mm-hmm. is the anxiety of acknowledging the social problem that you are, in fact, marrying into a family of demon worshippers that nobody wants to talk about. It. It's kind of the <laughs> elephant in the room, you know, and it's very similar in Get Out. And that's a transition uh, I want to make with you. Sam, you've seen more horror movies by orders of magnitude than all the rest of us sitting here combined. You know <laughs> about subgenres of horror that I don't even want to know exist. Um, and the one thing that I thought about this was I thought it was a brilliant social comedy. I thought it was a really powerful allegory. Yes. You know, and in with a way that... uncomfortable connections yeah, at times. Yeah, <laughs> in a way that allegory is so hard to do these yes. days, but this is like John Bunyan kind of allegory. Mm-hmm, yeah. I didn't know that it was... I wasn't particularly scared yeah. <laughs> at any point yeah. in this movie. I can give it, yeah, I can give you that. At some point, it just becomes about this end game unfurling as opposed to you, you know, being completely terrified. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought it was just such a fascinating journey that I was I was sold oh, yeah. at that point. Um, but uh, just to bring up Tanisha's comment about Jordan Peele as uh, as an artist, he's of this generation of people that. Or the it's like the room two thirty seven generation people that have been film fans and he studied horror films and, and just film in general, uh, and he knows what a delight it is to plant these Easter eggs into the film, mm-hmm. and so he's making it on some level. I mean, it's obviously it's a film through the lens of a black audience, a black family member made for black audiences, but it, there's still an inclusive oh. element for everybody. Uh, and in particular for film nerds, the film opens with Santa Cruz and then it says 1986. And there's also a shot with a bunch of videotapes, which spoke to me uh, greatly as a, as a child growing up in the VHS era. Uh, but it's a Santa Cruz 1986. And as a film horror fan, that means Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. And I knew that Jordan Peele was actually like turning and like giving me a thumbs up. Yeah. And sure enough, within two seconds, the mother character says, oh, they're filming a movie over at the carousel because they're on the exact same boardwalk uh, that the Lost Boys was filmed. Yeah, and I beautiful. knew that they were filming the Lost Boys yeah. over there. And that's just the first like, you know, a couple seconds mm-hmm. of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, One thing that you can Google and should Google before you go, I won't spoil anything, but it'll help you. Uh, Google Hands Across America because yes. there, it's, yes. there's a big long joke about Hands Across America. I lived through that. I must have written columns about it. I have no memory of it whatsoever. So I would have actually been better informed if I quickly looked at that. You know, Bill, uh, we're just running out of time here, but I think it is sort of worth mentioning. There's been this little mini controversy this week, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, for one of the two roles she plays. By Brilliant. the way, Brilliant. what a performance! Absolutely. Uh, Tour de force. But yeah. she develops this voice for the character known as Red. Uh, she perhaps made a mistake by saying that she based it somewhat on, uh, on something called spismat- spismatic dephonia, which is uh, what Robert uh, Kennedy Jr. has. It's also what the uh, NPR host Diane Reem uh, has. Uh, and she's taken a, a fair amount of heat and then had to graciously apologize about it. I think you and I had a similar take on this. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble, but I think <laughs> it's a... I, I've got very little patience 
for it. I think it's a misguided critique. Mm. Um, I think Nyong'o probably did make a mistake really revealing too yeah, much totally about her process. <laughs> and I'll bet she never talks about her process again no. because if she hadn't said what her inspiration was, I don't – you know, maybe it still would have been a thing. No, it wouldn't have. Because I just thought it was a really cool but, voice. But I think that <laughs> – And you've got to start somewhere. Right, I mean, you have to go, okay, what's the thing that I'm going to, like, mm-hmm. use to d- design right. this right. thing? I, I think it's just a misguided reach. <laughs> and I'm with you. I, I – and I th- and the real problem for me, and this is why I get so cranky about it, is there are lots and lots of problems with representation in Hollywood. And I mean, just look at what film just won the Oscar for Best Picture. That's a significant problem. Green, Green Book. Book. Oh God. To yes. me, that's a significant <laughs> right. problem. And when there's this outcry over every little thing, I think it trivializes and distracts from what are real problems with the politics of right. representation that, that over, still do it's exist. It's that over-policing problem. Yeah. All right. So we have to stop there because we won't have any time at all for endorsements. Give her so all the stop. things. Yes. <laughs> show was produced by Carlos the Mejiasaurus and me, the Shadow Coyote. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was mostly on me. Never buy the last case of Zag Nuts at Ocean State Job Lot. I mean, definitely buy Zag Nuts by the case. I've lived through these shortages. Where was I? Oh, the credits. Okay. The Mejiasaurus and me, Coyote Wolf. Who else? Seth the Shadow Intern. The part of Bill Curry was played by Elizabeth Moss. On Monday, we'll be back with news from over the weekend on The Scramble. And now, back to Colin. I forgot to talk about Elizabeth Moss's face, face in this movie. She should just be in horror movies all the time. Because like, she has, only has to like adjust her features a tiny bit to start looking completely possessed and scary. Anyway, uh, Bill Usman, uh, let's get going with some recommendations here. Okay, so full disclosure, uh, the person whose work I'm about to recommend is someone who I consider a friend. But I don't think that... Hurts the recommend the endorsement in any way. I'm still doing it with integrity. I can't believe I haven't endorsed this person's work on a previous episode. Um, there's a local author named Matthew Dix. Oh, we he's, know that. Yeah, yeah. He's written four novels: Something's Missing, Unexpectedly Milo, Memoirs of an Imaginary Friend, and The Perfect Comeback of Caroline Jacobs. He's got two more novels uh, coming. Two coming out this year. He's really a great author, and the amazing thing about this person is as he's this incredibly prolific writer and storyteller and a million other things, he's also a full-time elementary school teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, All of my three kids had the pleasure of having him as a teacher. He's an award-winning teacher. He's really something, and I think his novels are great, and if you haven't discovered those novels, do yourself a favor and seek out uh, the work of Matthew Dix. Matthew also had the pleasure, or perhaps not pleasure, of being my student in in the greatest class of all time. Uh, we had this class at Trinity that everybody in it went, went on to do amazing things. He wasn't he wasn't really Maddie Dix yet. He was, you know, but now he is. He, now he's Matthew Dix. All right. So, uh, Tanisha, what have you got for us? Uh, I'm gonna. Endorse Changarosa before they mm. depart um, their location at Union. So I think everyone. This is in Hartford at the train station. Yes, Hartford Union Place. Uh, everyone make their way over there and say goodbye. Uh, they're not gone forever, uh, but they are gone from that location. Um, and it 
was a second lunchroom for us at TheaterWorks, so mm. we will miss it. Um, but uh, go have a margarita and some tacos because who doesn't need that? And then also the name of the restaurant I'm pretty sure is – uh, your wife doesn't have to cook, and it's out of New Britain. And I also want to uh, shout out them. They are a soul food restaurant of New Britain. Oh. Your wife doesn't have to cook. Uh, delicious. Good food. Good to check that out. All right. So Sam Hatch. I've got a quick double recommendation. Uh, there's a great documentary on Shudder called Horror Noir, which is an adaptation, documentary adaptation of Robert Armin's Coleman's book, Horror noir, blacks and American horror films from 1890s to the present, and horror luminaries of plenty, including Connecticut's uh, Tony Todd, uh, Ken Forey, oh, and theater works Keith guy. David, uh, <laughs> Ernest Dickerson, and uh, just it's it's amazing. And there's so much great commentary, and it it largely is centered around the success of Get Out, and it does have a little bit of an us teaser at the end of it too. Uh, so it's perfect timing. It just came out like about a month ago on Shutter. Uh, so yet another streaming service you have to get. <laughs> and the other uh, quick recommendation <laughs> is I had the pleasure of stopping down. It's in Bridgeport, Connecticut, but there is an actual film archivist uh, group called Vinegar Syndrome that mm. has a stash of uh, an amazing stash of 35 millimeter prints, and they are working to restore them and put them out on Blu-ray. But they also have a brick and mortar store, which is a film fans and also music collectors. Dream come true, and it's a multiple levels of everything from VHS tapes to laser discs, which is my thing, Blu-rays, DVDs, vinyl, cassettes, uh, yeah, anything you want that that's nerdy and fun. Wow, vinegar syndrome. Yeah, and the archive is the name of the brick and mortar store. The archive. Okay, yep. so I, I'm just going to quickly. I, I I dropped out of the series Billions at the beginning because I didn't really buy this triangle that's kind of at the center of the series. I've kind of tuned back into it, mainly because I knew that John Malkovich was coming into the series to play a Russian oligarch. Uh, And so once you get past that whole triangle at the top of the series, which doesn't make any sense, and it still doesn't make any sense, you know, there's a lot of really interesting, almost kind of Jordan Peele-style social comedy in in Billions. It's, It's very sharply written, very culturally apt. And I mean, when Malkovich isn't on screen, you're sitting there going, when is he coming back? I mean, this is the, the whole premise of Billions, as far as I can tell, is that the scenery is made of zagnuts. You are allowed to chew the scenery. Uh, and this uh, performance by Malkovich, he is you know, nobody is restraining him at all. And nobody should. Uh, it's just tremendous. So you can just even like watch a few episodes that have Malkovich and, and then you're done. You don't have to do the whole four seasons. <laughs> 